Well, good morning, everybody. Man, I'm excited to share uh, from my trip to the Navajo Nation as well as to share from God's Word this morning. Hope that it speaks to you as we share. Uh, this was an incredible experience, unique experience for me. I want to say thank you to everybody who kept us and our team in prayer. I really, it means a lot that you were praying for us and it really went a long way. And it was an incredible time. Like Pastor Jeff said, this is our New Jersey student AIM trip. So uh, for the New Jersey network, we're in Assemblies of God Church. And so for the Assemblies of God in New Jersey, this was the student trip to the Navajo Nation, which is an Indian reservation. And I'll, I'll you know, be sharing all about that. And so this is our team here. There were 14 people that were able to go. We had seven students and seven adults. It was a great team. These guys did an amazing job. This is probably uh, like the roughest mission trip I ever did, like as far as how we were roughing it, our, our sleeping conditions and stuff. And the teenagers, they did an incredible job. They, there was like no drama. You know, they didn't complain about anything. And so anything that, you know, bothered you, uh, you just couldn't complain about it because they, they were so positive about everything. Uh, there were so many wonderful things we got to do. But just so you have a little window into what it was like for me to be there, just, just like a taste, okay? So the Navajo people, Native American uh, tribe, the Navajo Nation, in their native language, they don't have a word for tomorrow. There's no word for tomorrow in the native language. So the months leading up to the trip, as we're trying to plan what we're going to do, it was a little bit difficult to nail them down on what we were going to do. Pastor Jeff knows how stressed out I was about it because we didn't know until a couple weeks before because they just, they've always been a nomadic group. There's no word for tomorrow. Today's today. When you get here is, is you know, we're going to, what we're going to do. So one of the days, Thursday, they say, hey, we're going to make you dinner tonight. We're going to be there at 7 o'clock. Don't worry about food. We're going to handle it. So I look at the other leaders on the trip, and I'm like, we're not waiting for them to eat dinner. We're making a dinner at 6 o'clock, right? So 6 o'clock, we ate dinner, and it was a good thing we did because we didn't eat dinner with the Navajo until 9.30 p.m. So I'm like, we're doing all this hard work at the church. The kids ate at 12. I'm like, I- I'm not waiting for you. So two days later, they're like, we're going to make dinner for you again. We're, we, we were doing a youth rally. All these students were coming from different churches. And we're going to make dinner. Don't worry about dinner. And I'm like, guys, same thing. You know, the, we're probably not going to get started till like 9 o'clock. We were supposed to leave at 10 o'clock. So I'm like, I don't know how this is going to happen. Like the time, you know, it doesn't work. And wouldn't you know it, when do they show up? 5.30, 5.30 p.m. They show up early. I'm like, our team, we're still cleaning up. The bathroom was a mess. There were no doors on either bathroom because we were renovating them. So we're sweeping. Kids didn't shower yet. And they showed up. I'm like, you know, you couldn't figure it out. So just a little, just a little taste of like, for me, I'm like, all right, you know, we really got a, a taste of what their culture was like. It was different than our own. But it was. It was very endearing to be part of it uh, and to, to live the way that they do and to be included uh, in, in their culture the way that they are. And so uh, just a couple of things that we got to do while we were there. There were two main towns, two main cities that we were in. One was Shanto, Arizona, and we gave some TLC to one of the churches that were there. It's an Assemblies of God church that's been there since the 70s, so it's got a history, a long history of being there, but uh, it's, it's being revitalized right now. And so we were able to do some work. You see, that's a picture of me on the roof up there. I did some roof work. That was pretty fun. I never did that before. I know some of you guys in the room probably know what that's like. But that was cool. I had a lot of fun with that. We installed some TVs. I think they're in the picture there. We ran HDMI cords from uh, the attic. We got dirty that way. 
They redid the stage. That was the big thing. They ripped up the carpet, redid the stage. And a couple other things. We did a youth rally there where 40 students came out. There's probably 60 people there at the youth rally. It was an amazing time of worship and uh, kids meeting each other. And so we had a great time in Shanto. One of the challenges was that we were two hours away from really anything significant. <laughs> so like we needed HDMI cables to run the TVs or we needed a certain type of screw or we needed uh, for the roof, we needed the shingles, right? We're two hours away from any store and, and that's just how it is out there. So we were an hour away from the garbage dump. It, it was like, I, was, I really felt like I was in the middle of nowhere. And then we also went to Cayenta, Arizona. This was a little bit more populated. Uh, they, had, they had McDonald's and a Sonic and an Ace Hardware. So that was like, that was a big deal. <laughs> we had some of those things. But this is another Assemblies of God church that we went to. You see picture of me there. I got to preach that Sunday morning at the church. That was really cool. It's also a church revitalization. So uh, uh, it, it's, it's kind of a new work that's going on. We did some renovating as well. At this church, we sanded down the sign. I did some stuff on the computer. The program that we use for church is called ProPresenter. So I was helping them with ProPresenter because they had it on their computer. It was, uh, it was really cool. And talk about the connections that I had to this place, Kayenta, and the church that I preached at. So the church that I preached at, it was called Mountaintop Church. Mountaintop Church, Kayenta. There's a couple people you may know. My dad is a pastor in New Jersey, and my dad's church is called Mountaintop Church. So that was pretty cool right there. Like, oh, wow, I'm preaching at Mountaintop. The pastor, that's a picture of the pastor there. His name is Jackie. Pastor Jackie's son, his name was Matt. So I'm like, okay, well, that's a cool connection. There was a woman named Diane who gave our team spaghetti and meatballs. <laughs> my, my mom's name is Diane, and, and she makes spaghetti and meatballs. So I was like, all right. And somebody described it as free. They're like, man, this is like the freehold of the Navajo Nation. When we went there, they're like, this really reminds me of freehold, this place. It was so funny, the connections. And then... This is also just wild. I was FaceTiming my grandmother earlier this week. I was telling her about the trip. And she goes, wow, you know, Matt, your grandfather and I years and years ago visited the Navajo Nation, and we put in an application to be missionaries there. And she said it never worked out, but, but that, that was on their heart. And I was like, what? I had no idea. So it was crazy the connections that I felt that I had to this place when I was able to visit and we were able to minister there. And I, I want to talk more about some of their needs in a couple minutes and so we also got to visit the Grand Canyon, of course. We were about three hours away from the Grand Canyon, so we went and visited. It was incredible, and you know how pictures never really capture what it's like, the feeling that you have when you see this. Our entire team was just in awe of, of God and his creation. We went to Monument Valley. This was also amazing. They filmed a lot of old westerns here. Some John Wayne movies were here. There was a little point that was John Wayne's favorite spot to look out and stuff. So that, that was pretty cool. You could just see the landscape was just incredible as, as uh, we were there. And so here's a, just some pictures of some of the Navajo people that we were with. That's the pastor of the first church we were at. Those are some other people that attend the church. And so it was wonderful to be there, to meet people, even though they're different from us. It was incredible, not just the landscape, but the people. Something that was interesting as we talked about them as well is the Navajo people and Native Americans in general are very spiritual people. They're deeply spiritual. It's been ingrained into their culture. And so when people go, this is an Assemblies of God church, they would fit in right with our church. You, you, would, you, you would think they're just, they attend our church too. They're just like us in that way. There's so much connection there. But when somebody goes to church in, in an Indian reservation in, in Navajo Nation, it's a huge statement. A lot of their friends and family feel like you've betrayed us. 
you've walked away from what it means to be an Indian. You're no longer like us anymore because you attend that church. The, the, again, the culture is so spiritual. Um, that they were telling me, they're, they're like, basically, it's demonic. It's front and center. You see a medicine man, which is like a witch doctor. You go to these ceremonies where they, they channel spirits and stuff. And that's just inherent in their culture. It's very animistic in that way, worship of nature. And so just by being a Christian, just by going to church, you're separating yourself from the culture. And, and that's a whole dynamic that, um, that we got to learn about while we were there. So it, it really was so unique to go and to experience this. So I want to talk a little bit about some of the history of the Navajo Nation, the Indian Reservation. I've got some information for us today. I hope that it's interesting to you, and I hope it, it can help you to grow as we talk about ministering to others. And then I want to read from God's Word as well. Why does it matter for us? Like, you know, everything that, what my experience was and, and what we're going to talk about today. But so just so you can kind of know their perspective and what some of the needs are, let me show you where Navajo Nation is. Here's a map of the United States. Hopefully you can find where you are on this map. They say less and less people know how to do that. So we're in New Jersey. We're on the East Coast. Uh, where we are, Navajo Nation is uh, in Arizona. It's that Four Corners region, it's called. And let's see. So here's a Google map of Navajo Nation. You could see it's kind of highlighted in red. In the middle is another reservation there. And so those are the two cities that I was at most of the time, Shanto and Kayenta. You see Phoenix down at the bottom of the screen. We flew into Phoenix, and it was crazy. You flew into Phoenix. It's the desert in Arizona. It's like 110 degrees. But because the elevation, as we went up to Navajo Nation, we were like 7,000 feet elevation. It was like 85 or 70. Sometimes it depends where you were. It was like 70 degrees. It was way cooler. Uh, so it was, it was interesting. But just so you see where we were in, in uh, the country. So I want to share a little bit about the history of Indian reservations and when I share this, I want to be real and honest about some of the hurt that they've experienced. This isn't to guilt anybody in the room. It's not to guilt us or to make you feel bad that you did something wrong. We just want to gain what their perspective is like so we understand what it means to minister to another group of people who are different than, than our own. And so Indian reservations, some fast facts about Indian reservations. You may, if you're under 40, by the way, under 40 years old, you're probably like, why are you saying Indian? Shouldn't you say Native American? Uh, that's what I thought. Indian is the official term, and it's their preferred term to Native American. It's not called a Native American reservation. It's an Indian reservation. And uh, 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 that, that's how they self-identify. So they're both appropriate. Indian, Native, Native American, Indigenous, those are all appropriate. And so Indian uh, reservations. So, you know, that, that means they were indigenous to this land, which means they were here before European colonists came from the 1600s or the 1500s, even the Spanish. So before any of them came, these were the people that lived in the land in North and South America, in our case, in North America. So where they lived. So the United States, 1776, right? Now we're the United States. We're official. We start to expand. And so what I have up there is the Indian Removal Act of 1830, the Indian Removal Act of 1830 was signed by U.S. President Andrew Jackson. And this, I think, I put it up there just for the name. The name Indian Removal Act tells you the disposition of the United States. This is how we feel about this people group. They need to leave. They're like animals. The Indian Removal Act, remove them from our lands. This is a picture of the, the reservations that exist today in America. And you may notice that there's almost nothing on the east side of America, they were removed and forced to go um, to the west. 
So the Indian Removal Act took place in 1830. Uh, one of the realities on the Navajo, uh, on, on Indian reservations is that they have very limited power. They're recognized as a, as a separate nation, if you will, but they lease land from the federal government. They don't own anything. They own none of their land. They don't own their buildings. It's all owned by the United States, and they lease it from the United States. Even their courts have limit, limited power, so there's a lot of crime on the reservations, and the most they can prosecute somebody is anywhere from one to three years, so they don't have a lot of power even to deal with the crime on the reservation. Uh, Alcohol-related deaths, so drunk driving, being hit while, uh, by a car, being drunk, you know, any of those things, alcohol-related deaths are four times the national average. Teen suicide is twice the national average. There's a lot of hopelessness. There's a lot of brokenness. There's not a lot of opportunity on the Indian reservation. When you go there, it kind of feels like a third world country. You, you really forgot that you were in America for most of it. Every now and then I just saw an American flag, you know, flying somewhere and I'm like, oh, right, I'm still in America. You, you, you really forgot. You thought you were in a different country because the conditions were, were so different and they were often so poor. I don't remember the number. I think it was like 80%, but a majority of people do not have running water. And so even think about COVID, how, how hard they would have been affected by COVID. How do you wash your hands for 30 seconds if you don't have running water? They don't even have running water, uh, many of them. Something that we don't think about is our garbage. When you go to take your garbage out, what do you do? You just put it in a, in a dumpster or receptacle and somebody comes and collects it. They don't have that there. They don't have municipalities to take care of things in the town. So I dro- twice I drove an hour to go dump our garbage in a garbage dump. <laughs> you don't think about that. We don't think about that. We pay taxes and somebody comes and takes care of that for us. On the reservation, you have to go take care of that yourself. And so that was part of our schedule planning. When are, what are we going to do with our garbage? When are we going to take it to the dump? It's an hour away. And you just dump it in the ground uh, in, a, in a dump. And so it was, uh, often it was dirty. A lot of the buildings were, uh, were run down because they're not taken care of because nobody owns it. It hasn't been in your family for generations. It's not yours. You're not going to keep it. And so the conditions were very poor often in some of the places that we were. Uh, so just for a little bit more history to understand what it's like for um, these, these people, different Indian tribes, the culture that's there. In 1869, President Grant turned over the administration of Indian agencies to mainline Christian denominations. So what happened is basically this. In the late 1800s, there were boarding schools to Americanize Indians, to Americanize uh, natives. They have to become American now. But it was turned over to Christian denominations to run these boarding schools. And they were military run. They were run very, very harsh. Uh, and so the, the goal was not to Christianize them. The goal was to strip them of their identity. And they have to adapt to American culture in order to survive. So you can imagine how this, today I think we have a much better sense of how this is a horrible idea. That this doesn't work. And you may say, okay, so that was like 130 years ago or something like that, right? So that, that doesn't happen anymore. Well, one of the pastors on the trip, he told me this was his exact experience. He was in his mid-50s. So you're talking about the 1970s or the 1980s. He was still experiencing this. He went to a boarding school. He said his first memory at the boarding school is he walked into a room with a fluorescent light. They sat him down in a chair and shaved his head. First thing that happened, shaved his head. 
Anytime he spoke his native language, they put soap in his mouth. Stop, you're not supposed to speak your language. You're American now. It was military run. They had to make their beds perfect. They would test it with a quarter. And if the quarter sunk into the sheet, they had to redo it again in front of everybody. They walked single file everywhere that they went. You weren't allowed to talk. He was forced to watch American Western movies, old Western movies. Uh, They were filmed in that area, right? I was just saying that. They were forced to watch Western movies so that they would become American. You have to know what American culture is like, so you had to watch it. And he, you know, so he explained how I'd watch how the Indians were portrayed in the movies. And they were always, he goes, that's not how we are. They were stupid and they would always lose. He said, Indians always lost. And he said to himself, if, if there really is a God out there, he's cruel because he made me an Indian. He hated himself. He hated who he was. He hated where he was from. And this is, this is written, uh, this is a quote from a pastor, Craig Smith. He's a Native American and he's a, he's a Christian pastor as well. He says, so when a people are led to believe that their culture is bad and they resolutely refuse to adapt to another culture, they end up being a people with no culture or identity. And so this is how Indians have felt all over America, that they've been stripped of their identity, but they don't feel American, they don't feel like anything, and that's why there's so much hopelessness and brokenness and hurt and alcoholism and depression and suicide, because what am I living for? What's the point? I'm nobody special. Nobody cares about us. And so in the 1930s, uh, a lot of the reservations as we see it today finally came to be. And in the 1970s, there was a revival of Native American spiritualism and, and the animism that I was talking about earlier. So those are a lot of the Indian reservation facts and a lot of info, but just so you can kind of have a mindset of where uh, they are. And here's uh, just a couple more facts, just, and then we'll kind of get into uh, uh, what this means for us too. So the Navajo Nation, uh, in particular where I went, the Navajo Nation is the size of, about the size of West Virginia. So you see it in that Four Corners region. It's the size of West Virginia. There's only 13 grocery stores in all of Navajo Nation. And we went to three of them. I, our team went to three. So you can, get a, you can imagine, you know, uh, what it's like. Again, the conditions, how far you have to drive just to go shopping, to get some water bottles, you know, whatever. Navajo Nation was established in 1868 after the Long Walk. And again, just, this is part of their identity. This is part of how they see themselves. What's the Long Walk? You may remember uh, learning in school. I, I learned about the Cherokee, um, the, the Trail of Tears, how they were forced to relocate from the East Coast to Oklahoma, where the Cherokee tribe is now. And it was basically the same thing for the Navajo. They were uh, forced to move. After the Indian Removal Act, uh, settlers began to just kill Indians and take their land. So fights were ensuing. So the government said, you know what? Everybody, all the Navajo, you all have to move. You're out of here. So they marched them. They all walked to New Mexico. And they were given blankets with diseases to kill them on the way. And so this was part, again, this is part of their identity. This is how they feel. Many of them died. Many of them, their immune systems were weakened. They were brought to New Mexico And it was too expensive for the government to feed them and take care of them. So what they did was they put together the reservation. The Navajo, one of the few people that are on their ancestral lands, they said, you can go back to your land. Here's your land. There it is, Navajo Nation in Arizona. And that was in 1868. And so that was, uh, they marched about 400 miles to New Mexico. So that's when it was established. There's about 300,000 Navajo today. 
Navajo people. Half of them live on the reservation. The other half, you know, different parts of the United States. A lot of them were telling me they had family here in New Jersey or in New York City. Many of them get educated off the reservation to go to Phoenix. I, I met some people that went to, uh, you know, different colleges in Phoenix. And so uh, many of them leave to find job opportunities because, again, there's really not a lot of opportunity on the reservation. In fact, most of their economy, actually, believe it or not, is, is, um, is uh, raising sheep and goats. <laughs> That's a lot of their economy. So it's funny to me, we, we're, we're in church and we're reading the Bible and the Lord is my shepherd. So you're like, you know, back in the day, this is what shepherds would do, you know, and, and those of you guys who are in Israel, you know, we, we saw a couple shepherds here and there. Well, this is like their whole culture is, is like ranching and animals and livestock. I, I preached at Mountaintop Church and the lady beforehand, the administrator, she told me, hey, don't go too long because a lot of the shepherds have to let their sheep out after church. <laughs> so it's just a totally different world, totally different world, you know, uh, 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 going there. And so uh, I talked about the, uh, the government relationship there, how they, how they lease the land. And so another thing, again, just to know what it's been like, this is probably the last big thing I'll say about uh, factually to know what it's like to be Navajo and to be Native American. During World War II, there was something called the Navajo Code Talkers. Is anybody familiar with this? I did not know about this at all until I went. So this is really interesting if you know what this is. The Navajo Code Talkers, they were um, a huge part of the Pacific Theater during World War II. So there was about, uh, I think it was 200, 400. 400 Navajo, along with a couple other Native American tribes, were trained as code talkers because nobody could intercept their language. And so they invented an alphabet so they could decipher English and stuff. And they said uh, they worked around the clock. Let's see. They could uh, transmit, decode a three-line English message in 20 seconds. Machines at the time took about 30 minutes to perform the same job. So 30 minutes to decode Navajo people could do it in 20 seconds. So they were integral to um, the, the uh, World War II, and Major Howard Connor, he says that they were critical to Iwo Jima. Were it not for the Navajo, the Marines would never have taken Iwo Jima in our fight against Japan during World War II. So as much as there's a lot of hurt that they felt from the government, there's also a pride that they get to serve our country and serve in the military. And again, they were a huge integral part to World War II. Now, that's what the Navajo did for the United States during World War II. Do you know what we did for them during World War II? Anybody watch Oppenheimer, the new movie on the atomic bomb, right? Anybody watch that? Great movie, pretty epic, yeah, really cool, Christopher Nolan. So if you remember in the movie, he's talking about how they're enriching uranium, and he keeps filling this jar with how much uranium they have. What the movie leaves out is where they got that uranium. During World War II, when we were building the atomic bomb, we drilled... Uh, uranium mines on the Navajo Nation and left all of them open because they were too expensive to close. It's about 10 to $20 million to properly close a uranium mine. So today on the Navajo Nation, it's the size of West Virginia. There's only 13 grocery stores, but there are over 500 open uranium mines on the Navajo Nation. I met two people with brain cancer. So it just gives you a sense of, of what it's like to be a Native American, to be a Navajo. This is their perspective. You see, there's a lot of hurt. And it's tied, in their case, it's tied to Christianity because Christi Christians ran those boarding schools. And so this is the hurt that they've experienced. Now, there's a beautiful scripture, Psalm 34, verse 12. 
uh, I'm sorry, verse 18, it says that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he rescues those who are crushed in spirit. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he rescues those who are crushed in spirit. This is how the Navajo have felt, that they've felt crushed, they've felt broken. But I know that the Lord is close to them right now and he's moving right now among the Navajo. That church that I preached at, we were there, there were like four new families that they were all there for the first time that Sunday. It's amazing to see that God is beginning to move among the Navajo and above Native Americans. And so the truth is this, even though uh, Native Americans, Indians, and Navajo, they feel like exiles, they feel like underdogs, God is close to them. Even though they feel overlooked by society, even though they feel like they can never win, God cares about them. In fact, God is the God of the underdog. God is the God of the underdog. Here's what 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 29 says. It says, remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they're wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all. And use them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. God takes the underdog. God takes the little things of this world. God takes the exiled. God takes the overlooked. God takes the ones that nobody else cares about. And he uses them for his glory. It's those people that God uses to minister to others. It's those people that God reveals his glory to. And that's how the Navajo feel. That's how the Indians feel. And this is actually the story of Jesus. Think about the, birth, the Christmas story, a story many of us know so well. Jesus was born into this. This is exactly the story. Jesus was born into a minority group. He was born into a, a minority group. In Deuteronomy, Jesus said, uh, uh, God says he called the Jewish people, the Israelite people, out from the rest of the world. They were a minority. I'm going to use you, even though you're not the biggest, even though you're not the most. He was part of a tribal group, just like Native Americans are tribal. What do we talk about? The 12 tribes of Israel, right? He was born into a tribal group. He was born into an oppressed or an occupied group. Native Americans are now occupied, and, and the United States government is over them now. Well, that's what Jesus was born into in Luke chapter 1. The Roman Empire ruled over Israel while Israel was in their native homeland. And so Jesus has so much in common with native people. Uh, it, uh, as he says in, uh, Craig Smith says in the book I was reading, White Man's Gospel, Jesus is not just the white man's God. It's not the white man's gospel. Jesus has so much in common. And even an exiled group, Jesus was born into that. And so it's interesting what Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 3. So stop deceiving yourselves. If you think you're wise by the world's standards, you need to become a fool to become truly wise. God uses the foolish things of this world. So I don't want to become too proud. I'm, I'm proud to be an American. Absolutely. I, I, I love my country. I don't want to be at the place where I'm, I'm just a self-made man. Well, it's all about the money that I've made. It's all about my, how far I've made it in my career. The more prideful you are, the more full of your own puff and power that you are, the less God wants ha to have anything to do with you. God uses the foolish things of the world. God doesn't evaluate by the world standards. God uses his own heavenly standards. That's how God evaluates things. God doesn't exclude anyone from salvation God doesn't exclude anyone from his calling. God 
delights to use the underdog. He's the God of the underdog. And so, as I know I've, I've shared a lot of information today. <laughs> that was a lot of info. Just to kind of get their perspective a little bit. What does this mean for us today? What, what can you do? I, I know a lot of some of us are going to go to lunch after this. You know, like, are you going to go to an Indian reservation? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I, I, I hope that we can have a relationship that starts to build with them. But, but I think God's word still has something to say about everything we've talked about and what, what this means for you and for me as, as we walk out of here today. I want to talk about what Craig Smith, the Native American pastor, uh, the book I was reading, White Man's Gospel, what he says, he calls the Antioch model. We see this in Acts chapter 11. The Antioch model is a multicultural, cross-cultural church. They didn't limit the gospel just to their own culture. And so we want to be like a New Testament church. We read about the early church, uh, how it was exploding, but first the gospel was among just Jewish people only, ethnically Jewish people. And there was a debate. Can we let non-Jews be part of it? Can we let Gentiles be part of it? Can we let Greeks be part of it? And we read about in the book of Acts what that was like. Absolutely. Salvation is for everybody, no matter what your ethnicity, no matter what your background is. God includes everybody. And so in Acts chapter 11, we encounter the church in Antioch, which was a mixture of multiple cultures of people. So here's what it says in Acts, Acts 11, uh, verse 19. This is the ethnic barrier that they encountered. So they were scattered because of the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed. They traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And then what does verse 21 say? It says, the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. As they learn to break cultural barriers and gain the heart that God has for all people, the hand of the Lord began to move among them. This is what Craig Smith says, churches in America that are not about the business of reaching to other cultures are not going to experience the kind of success and blessing that comes from the Lord until they see the need to be cross-cultural. This is so important to God's heart. And I want to say thank you, church, for your heart in being cross-cultural and your generous heart in giving to missions. Today's Mission Sunday, and so thank you for giving to mission and having a heart for people who are not just like you or just like me. Thank you so much because this matters to God. He's the God of the underdog. And so here's, uh, here's the four points I want to give you. What can we do with everything that we've talked about today? Again, I know a lot of info this morning. Here's kind of, if there's anything to remember, here's what I want you to remember today. What you can do as a result of what we've talked about. First, listen. Listen, when we look at the Antioch model in Acts 11 of a cross-cultural church, what did they do? They listened. And what can you and I do? We can listen to the stories of those who are different from us. In Acts chapter 11, uh, we just read the passage. It says they only talked to the Jews, but some of them began to speak to the Greeks also. Began to speak to the Greeks also. Or began to speak to the Gentiles also. So that means they didn't just show up and say, you need the Lord Jesus Christ, repent. And then they walked away. No, they began to speak to them. They had a conversation. They got to know one another. They began to build relationships even though they were different from each other. Even though their ethnicities were different, their values were different, they got to speak to Greeks also, and the Lord's hand was with them. 
We see this all throughout the Bible. Jesus does this in John chapter 4 with the woman at the well. A totally different kind of woman. Jesus says, I don't care. I'm going to talk to her. What does it matter? I'm going to talk to her. I'm going to share what she needs to know. And so what we can do is listen to the stories of people who are different from us. This is one of the people that I met on the mission trip. Uh, this guy, his name is Dale. He was an awesome, awesome guy, uh, young adult. Um, you know, I got to learn a little bit about his story, about his family and his past and some hurt that was there. He grew up in that first church that I was at, and uh, he, he owns a laundromat now. He was educated off the reservation, but he's one of the people that I met that had brain cancer. And he was explaining to me, he, he's a brain cancer survivor now, uh, so, he, so, so praise God that God helped him to get, walk through that. But he talked about how scary that was and how difficult that was and some of the limitations that he has now as a result. And so we were able to pray with him and encourage him. I met another person with brain cancer uh, while I was there. He was just kind of a mason helping with the church. And he ended up coming to church that Sunday. It was his first time ever coming to church because he felt loved by everybody. And he felt like we listened to him and we cared about who he was. And he, so he just, he just came to church that Sunday randomly. He loved coming to church and loved experiencing the presence of God. And so just listening to somebody different from you it can go a long way, and it's close to God's heart. And so, again, you, you may get to visit the Navajo Nation one day. You may get to visit an Indian reservation. But who else in your circle is different from you that you can listen to? Who's different from you that you can listen to? Maybe it is an Indian or a Native American. Who's a different demographic than you are? Somebody who's not in your economic demographic. Somebody who has a lot more or a lot less than you do. Somebody who's ethnically different than you, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, a different demographic. Somebody who's part of a, a, minority, a minority group or a majority group. Somebody who's deconstructed their faith. Maybe you have a friend or a family member who's talked about that. Have you ever talked to them and sat down and listened to them explain why they are where they are? Have you ever, uh, maybe for you, can you talk to somebody of a different religion? Somebody who has a different faith altogether. Maybe somebody, can you listen to somebody who has an alternate sexuality? I'm not saying we agree with these things. That's not what we're saying. Can you listen to somebody different from you? Can you build a relationship with somebody? That's what's close to God's heart. That's what Jesus did. That's what we read about in this Antioch church. And why do we listen? Listen, uh, we, we want to listen to other people so that we can pray for them too. We can better pray for them. What are the things that you can do today? You can listen and you can pray. Pray informed prayers that move the heart of God. And again, in Acts 11, it says uh, uh, later, we go on in that chapter, news of this reached the church in Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived, saw the grace of God, what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. You can listen to somebody different from you and still remain true to the Lord with all your heart. I, I sit in circles with people of other, other faiths, other religions, other sexualities. I'm completely secure in who I am and what I believe. I'm not threatened one bit by it. I can remain true to the Lord when I listen to somebody different from me. And now I can better pray for them because my prayers are more informed. Now I know what it's like from their perspective, the hurt that they've experienced. I can better pray for that person. And so, again, the Navajo are deeply spiritual people. This is one of the people that I met on the trip. His name was George. George told me about how he came to faith in God. Like we said, the Navajo are a deeply spiritual people. 
He told me when he was young, his father was a religious man. He would run and, 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 and pray to the gods, but he got very sick. They couldn't afford going to the medicine man for the ceremony and the ritual. So they went to a church revival instead. And he experienced the power of God healing his father. When he saw his father heal, physically healed of the ailment he had, that was it. He came to faith in Jesus. He said, I, ne- I never stopped going to church after that. He talked about now how his friends and family see how God protects him and how God's hand is over his life. And so when you listen to somebody, now you know how to pray for them. Okay, they're a spiritual people, or this is the hurt that they have. Now I know how I can pray for them. And so uh, we want to pray informed prayers that move the heart of God. So we want to listen, we want to pray, and one of the biggest things that we can do is we can give. We can give generously to missions. Again, today's Mission Sunday. Thank you again for just going above and beyond. When you give, God multiplies it for his kingdom. Uh, It says, again, in Acts 11 with this Antioch church, they heard somebody uh, predicted through the Holy Spirit that there would be a famine in Judea. So the cross-cultural church, the Greeks and the Jews in Antioch, the disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. They sent a financial gift uh, to, to back up their prayers and what they were talking about. And so when you give generously, you allow God to use you. You put your money where your mouth is. You say, man, I really care about this. When you put your money there, that means you're showing you really care about it. Again, I want to say thank you. The church that I was at, at Mountaintop Church, they're in the midst of renovation right now. Our church has given a lot of money for wells to be dug so that they can have clean running water. But those, those wells have to be um, administer, administered by a church. And so he's building this church up to show the Navajo Nation we can care for this well. That was the one well that I was able to go to. So when you give, man, I hope that we're able to partner with them in some ways so we can continue to work on what God is doing on the Navajo Nation and in Mountaintop Church specifically. So thank you for giving. Thank you for your love. We don't give because we're perfect and we have all the answers. We give because we're also just a product of missions. God has worked in my life. God owns everything. I can trust God for today. I can trust God for tomorrow. Let me give for his kingdom cause and see others come to Christ. I can trust you with it, God. And so we can listen. We can pray. We can give. And lastly, we can serve or we can go. (laughs) We can serve or we can go. I want to say we can go. I realize not everybody can go, so you know what else you can do? You can serve. What can you do? Uh, In Acts chapter 11, uh, verse 30, it says, They sent their gift, so this they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. They backed up their words with action. It's one thing to say that you care about somebody. It's another thing to actually do something for them. It's another thing to serve somebody. And so go outside of your comfort zone. For me on this trip, serving on this trip, I, I talked about some of the cool things. Uh, I was on air mattresses all week. My neck was like killing me by the last day. It deflated on me one night. I was not comfortable. <laughs> I had a beetle in my bed one night, you know, like this big kind of beetle, huge. You know, I only showered four times on the whole trip because <laughs> we didn't have a lot of showers. Uh, I didn't even have a bath towel. I just bought some rags from Ace Hardware. I was really uncomfortable for a couple days. I really, it was rough. It was like the roughest mission trip I had been on. So like, but when it comes to getting out of our comfort zone, man, serve, go, 
Don't just listen. We, we listen, we pray, we give, and we can go or we can serve. Rub shoulders with somebody who's different from you. I'm so glad that we have a bunch of people from our church now serving at Open Door Food Pantry. Just get to meet others different from you. A lot of people there are people of faith. Some of them aren't. So, hey, I mean, just meet some people in the community. Represent God's love to those people. You can serve even in our church. You know, all different ways that you can serve. What does Isaiah 1.17 says, uh, say? He says, learn to do good. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. That's a verse you may have seen before. We just talked about different ways you can do that. You know about the Navajo Nation. You know about the Indian people. Now, there's other people in our circles that we can get to know. So we can listen to them. We can pray for them. We can give. And we can serve them. Learn to do good. Not just talk about it. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Pastor Bonnie, would you come as we begin to close out this morning? And so church, thank you again for your prayers and your support of of me being able to go with the team to Navajo Nation. Total unique experience for me. We talked about the facts and the history that's there. The hurt that's there for the Indian people. But that helps us to know how we can minister to them. We need to serve them. We see that Jesus actually has a lot in common with Indian people. He has a lot in common with the underdog. Because God is the God of the underdog. God uses the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God uses the powerless things of this world to shame the powerful. And so I'm going to humble myself before the Lord. I'm not going to be wise. We can be like the Antioch church. What does it mean for us? We can listen to people who are different than us. Even if we agree or don't agree, we can just listen to somebody different. That means we can pray for them. We can pray informed prayers. We can give generously to missions so God can use our giving. And we can serve and we can go. So here's how I'd like to close out this morning. I want to invite you to stand to your feet as we've uh, gone through a lot of information today. I want to just take a minute or two and pray together as we've heard some of the needs now as we close out. I want to give us a moment to pray. But before we do, with every head bowed and every eye closed, just for a moment of privacy, I want to give an opportunity, if there's somebody here today who's never made a decision to follow Jesus, maybe you feel kind of marginalized, you feel overlooked, just like the Navajo people. Maybe you haven't experienced the same thing, but you feel overlooked at your job. You feel judged maybe by your family. You feel the pressures of the world around you, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. If that's you, I just want to give you an opportunity to pray a prayer you can walk out of this place today having the peace that surpasses understanding. Is there somebody here today that wants to pray that prayer for the first time? just want to give that opportunity. Awesome. And so what I want us to do, again, as I've shared about the Navajo people, I'd like us to take 60 seconds or so Can we begin to pray for the Navajo people? As I've shared, we prayed for our missionaries this morning already. We've prayed for our local community. Now as a church body, can we be cross-cultural in this way and begin to pray for the Navajo people? So begin to lift them up out loud. Begin to to, uh, cry out for the brokenness and the hurt that they experience. Lord, we acknowledge the hurt that the Navajo people and the Indian people have experienced. And Lord, we know that you're close to the brokenhearted. God, we ask for a move of your spirit right now. We ask that your spirit would work on hearts, that you would soften hearts that are closed to the gospel in the Navajo Nation. 
Lord, as you're already doing, sending new people to these church revitalizations, would you continue to work on people and would they experience your power and your presence like they've never experienced you before? And Lord, let it not be something that comes from the white man. It doesn't come from the West. It doesn't come from the American government or from Europeans, but it comes from your spirit, Lord, that it's a result, a a revelation of who you are, that they would come to faith in you and experience your peace and your purpose, your power and your presence for their lives. God, we ask that you would use our church and our people, Lord, and us, the assemblies of God, the American church, Lord, as partners with the native people through our missions giving and through our prayers and support. Here's the last thing I want to do as we're in this attitude of prayer. The Navajo is is what we've talked about. I'd like you now to think about somebody that you know who's far from God. All of us know somebody who's far from God. And can you lift them up before, before the Lord right now with what we've talked about? Think about the hurt that they've experienced. You can begin to pray for them. Think about what it might be like from their perspective. And now let's begin to pray that God would soften their heart to the gospel. That there's not an act that you or I can do. There's not a sentence that we can say to convince someone. Begin to pray now that the Holy Spirit would work. God, we lift these people to you. We lift our loved ones to you, Lord. We ask that you would work, that you would move. Thank you, Lord, that you care. Thank you that you're close to us, Lord.